You're listening to Your Rivers Are Wrong, the podcast. Good morning, everyone. Or afternoon, or evening, or midnight. I think we got them all. All the time zones. They're all welcome here. Welcome to the Your Rivers Are Wrong podcast. Welcome back. Yeah, welcome, welcome back. back. Welcome back. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Merle. And I'm the other co-host, and my name is Dante. Yeah. And in this podcast, for the uninitiated, just to refresh your memory a little bit, we talk about the wonderful whimsies of world building, the arts and aesthetics of setting up a setting, and telling stories born from those settings. All the things, all the beautiful things. There's a lot to talk about. Somehow we still that's right. have not run out of topics. I think that's pretty good. That's pretty great of us. I think it's really hard to run out of topics. I'm going to be honest. I was going to say it's getting harder, but also you're right. <laughs> Somehow the world keeps building, you know. We've gotten a lot of the very easy comfort topics out of the way. Things that we could talk about for hours and hours. We've already done episodes on. So we're upgrading is what you're saying? Is that what we're doing? Well, we kind of got to dig a little bit out of our comfort zones and talk about things we're a little less familiar with and or learn about the things we already know about and talk more about them. That sounds pretty good. I like how we're workshopping our podcast on podcast. Yes, like, it's very meta of us. <laughs> hey, would you like to join one of our meetings? <laughs> I mean, well, let's not go there. Wait, wait, wait. I missed the tie-in. You were about to tie into something. We can't miss that tempo. It was a tie-in for for a topic that I forgot that we already did, which I think is pretty funny. Oh, okay. At first I was like, oh, let's talk about fourth walls today. And I was like, no, we literally had an episode on it. (laughs) So I love that we're starting like in a very meta way so that we still tie Mm -hmm. in the fourth wall. Just, just a little bit. Just a little bit. We're still looking back on it with fond memories, you know. (laughs) Fond memories. Yeah. How's your week, Dante? How are you doing? Oh, it's been good. It's been so good. Yeah, nice. Very nice, calm weekend. Nothing really going on to throw me off kilter, which is always refreshing. I did, as a side note, I guess, there's not much story to say about this. I was invited to ice cream at 10 p.m. two nights in a row by two different groups of people. Oh, wow. I don't know how prolific Ralph's Ices are throughout the rest of the world, but here in New York, it's like a like a big deal. I have no clue what that is, but apparently if they have a reputation, that's good. And they're all open till 1030, except for one that's open till 11. So we went all the way to <laughs> went all the way to that one. Nice. Uh, some ice cream. <laughs> was it worth it? Uh, yeah, it was worth it for the company, not really the ice cream. <laughs> the ice cream was okay. I mean, it, actually, it was better than the second night because the second night I went to Cold Stone. And for people who know what Cold Stone is, ice cream, it's good, but very, very expensive. It's uh. like $7 for one scoop. And I'm like, I could have bought two whole tubs of ice cream <laughs> with the $7. Yeah. And I will say that the ice cream was great, but I think I would like two tubs of ice cream more. <laughs> this one scoop of very Quantity over cream. quality. It, yeah, I'll take it. Definitely a quantity over quality situation. Also, some of my recent obsession, which has hit me like a truck, is something called Epic the Musical, which is something I discovered on TikTok because it's about, it's a musical version of the Odyssey, the story of Odysseus's travels. And it's not entirely out yet because the guy releases like four songs every four or five months for this 40 song project. But I've been listening to the albums. There's two of them now, nine songs as of this recording. There's going to be more later in the year because I've already researched. Um, (laughs) Of course. Yeah. I've listened to the the nine out of potential 40 songs at least 10 times each. It's just on repeat (laughs) over and over again. It sounds great, though, honestly. One song leads to the next and it's like a whole story. And every time I listen to it, I hear a new sentence and I'm like, oh, that's a reference. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Are you big on your mythology and stuff? Like, I know about it, but I'm not like, 
I never had class or anything on it. Not particularly Greek mythology. I'll be honest with you. I never really understood it. But when like names come up in the songs, I'm like, let me look up who this is. Oh, they die at the end. Oh, I probably... Spoiler. <laughs> spo- spoiler wah, wah. on a 2,000-year-old book. <laughs> yeah, how could you? <laughs> this sounds great, though. It sounds like Hadestown versus like... What, what was the other TikTok musical that happened before? Like Ratatouille, which was also great. Did you hear about there this? There's a Ratatouille musical? Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't know. People like joked about it and then it became a real thing. A few people oh, were so like funny. super determined and then they made like a COVID digital full version of it with like, uh, what's the guy that played in um, Titus Burgess or something? Like like a, like a bunch of really famous names and stuff were connected to it. It was really great. Amazing. Yeah, I'm looking that up. If you're listening to this, listen to Epic the Musical. There's like nine songs, about 40-ish minutes. So yeah, I listened to it over my commute. So yeah, 40-ish minutes. That sounds about right. It's really good. That sounds super great, honestly. That's my that's my pitch. Uh, this is actually just a podcast about pitching our favorite oh, shows. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, welcome. I forgot. Sorry. Welcome, I should have mentioned. Welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This is your turn. What is... Okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, here's here's the perfect tie-in, honestly. And now's the actual tie-in to the actual podcast that we're talking about. Okay. Okay. Talking about musicals. Oh my gosh. See how natural I did that? Sure. Sure. Honestly, I love talking about musicals. Who am I kidding? We can keep going forever. But in the spirit of being obsessed over a musical, I had the same thing this week. <laughs> Not a TikTok musical, mm. but a very, I think a pretty old musical as well. Like it's called The Bridges of Madison County. Huh. And it's based on the Meryl Streep and, oh, I forgot the other name. He's real famous. <laughs> the other actor. <laughs> <laughs> He's real famous. <laughs> Honestly, I just love Meryl Streep, so I forgot who else was in it. <laughs> but it's a great story. It's super nice. I think it's also based on a book. The music is gorgeous, and it's basically a very like rather traditional sort of grand love story. And it's really nice. I sort of forgot old school love stories are sometimes like really, really what I crave. Mm. <laughs> and this was perfect timing. Clint Eastwood. And it was really nice. Clint Eastwood. Oh, Clint Eastwood. Yeah. <laughs> that guy. Oh my God. He also directed the whole thing. I should have remembered. I'm sorry, Clint, if you're listening. No, you're good. You're good. They're not listening. <laughs> You know, famously listens to the Your Rivers Are Wrong podcast, yeah, no. Lynn Eastwood. As everyone knows. Fan of the show. <laughs> anyway, why I became so obsessed with this musical is because a Dutch version came out in 2017 or something. I haven't mm. seen it, which I very much regret now. I knew it was around, but I just didn't really know the actors and stuff. But somehow I got back into the side of YouTube where all the Dutch musicals are. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really great, specifically because there's one actress who plays the role that Meryl Streep is playing, Francesca, an Italian housewife, okay, stuck a little bit in her farm life in Iowa. And the Dutch actress that plays Francesca, I only know her from material where she sings quite low, where she has roles that are not that innocent feeling, I guess. And she's also a little bit older, like she's not 20, you know? And then somehow when she played this role that was super, not innocent, you know, but there's a sort of almost naivety or a sort of genuineness to it that I wasn't used to. And then also- sure. The vocal parts in the score are much more soprano than I thought she was. I thought she was like a mezzo or something. And I was really sort of shocked how much that, I don't know, hit me a little bit. And I was like, oh, wait, this is really good. <laughs> She's also capable of this stuff. And also this music is so great. And oh my God, they're so in love. Oh my God, I love this musical. <laughs> That's kind of how my brain went. <laughs> mm-hmm. It got me thinking a little bit about the idea of coming of age. Of course, we know the traditional kind of genre or, yeah, I don't know how to call it, you know, the classic coming of age story where teens have great adventures and learn stuff along the way and become mature and and stuff. (laughs) And then they're of age (laughs) and that's the end of the story. But somehow, for instance, in this story from the Bridges of Madison County, I felt like it was 
in a way, sort of reverse, because, you know, I was used to sort of the more experienced female motherly role from her as an actress. And then suddenly she sort of reverted, quote unquote, back into a more childish or more open or younger feeling character once she got out of her stuck relationship. Mm. Once she fell in love, her personality shifted into something much more younger and sort of vibrant feeling. And it was really strange to me and interesting how that almost felt like a coming of age in another way. Like she's still learning, but she's learning the other side of it. Right, right. And I think that's super interesting. So I think we uh, we can talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that's such an interesting topic. When you mentioned coming of age, I, you know, obviously I was listening to what you were saying, but I was also in the background looking up what in the what in the world is the age of coming of age? Yeah. What is it? What does that <laughs> like, even mean? Right? Like I was thinking about it. And I'm like, kids turning into teens. Is that coming of age? Teens to adults. Is that coming of age? What is a teenager? <laughs> yeah. And what what the reputable source of Wikipedia says mm-hmm. is that coming of age is a young person's transition from being a child to being an adult. But the specific age at which this transition takes place varies between societies, as does the nature of the change. And this is like legal ceremonies, like not necessarily legal ceremonies, like this is like cultural ceremonies, like the quinceanera or the um, bar mitzvah. You know, these are like things celebrated uh, at a certain age, at a certain point in your life, very specifically. But also coming of age stories aren't necessarily tied to birthdays, mm. especially in movies. It's, it's yeah. very much like a formative event that leads to it. For me, when I was thinking of like how to approach this a little bit, it's also very much tied into like thinking about it systematically, right? Like traditional, I guess, works in the genre for me are very much school stories or, you know, the Harry Potters, Mm -hmm. you know, that stuff. I was thinking like, why does that feel so like classic coming of age to me? And I think it's just because of the systematicness of it. Just because there's like literally a yearly progression that you can follow. Like now they're first grade, now they're second grade. Sure. So the system of it makes it very clearly, I guess, a very easy genre to follow because you literally know how the system of aging in that little universe works. Right. And the same goes for age in general. I think I have this in real life all the time. Once you get out of school or after high school, even you sort of start to realize that age is not really that it doesn't really mean anything, that it doesn't really matter if you're two years (laughs) older or no. The fact that you're all with almost people from the same age in one class makes it a very easy default to refer back to, right? And then all of a sudden when people come in that are like two years older or three years older, or when you meet someone else that feels the same, but then is not the same in age, that gets shifted a little bit, right? And then you realize that it's really, it doesn't really matter if you're 22 or 24 or, you know, 50 or 60, right? (laughs) I'd love to think a little bit more about what it means outside of that. In general, kind of talking a little bit about the sort of classic idea of getting older and wiser. There are so many old people that I would never want to have a conversation (laughs) with. so many old people. (laughs) In general? Yeah. (laughs) Yes, that's true. (laughs) Let's first acknowledge that part. (laughs) Yes. I wasn't sure what you were getting at. You're just like, there's so many old people. I'm like, okay. There's so many old people. Yeah. And It's true. This is true. Thanks for listening. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But you know. learn things on this podcast. There's so many old people that are like, not wise. (laughs) And there's so many young people that are super wise and feel like they've lived a thousand years. Fair. So in all those quote unquote exceptions of the rules, there's so many versions of the coming of age tale that we haven't really seen yet, I think. Or at least I I couldn't immediately think of it. And I think the Bridges of Madison County musical was one where I sort of accidentally realized it it was a sort of coming of age in a very different way. Like Mm. she's very much maturing, but she doesn't need the maturity to look like something very wise or serious. I'm very much just spitting thoughts here as well, like, in case you didn't notice. <laughs> that's what we do. That's what we do on this yeah, podcast. Yeah, that's true, that's true. 
I think when we talk about the idea of coming of age, I tried to, in my head, picture what it would take for me to perceive a book or a movie as a coming of age sort of story, mm. right? And I think two things immediately stuck out to me as like necessities. The first is the establishment of the meaning of adulthood. It's like, what does that mean in the context of the story? Like what responsibilities are tied to that idea? Whether it be taking on a job or living on your own or taking care of mm. things, you know, having a plate full of responsibility. Is that the definition of adulthood? Is that what we're going with in this story? And then the second part is the concept of age equating to maturity. As in like, sometimes people, in my opinion, wrongly assume that as you get older, you become more mature. And in my head, it's it's not that you become more mature, you're just forced to grapple with the concept of more responsibility as you get older. Or like, as you, as you move into adulthood, you're wrestling with these ideas and these realities of a harder, more independent life, right? Mm -hmm. And people don't necessarily mature into that 10 out of 10 times. So when I think of like a coming of age story, it's a story of a character being met with this concept of adulthood. And the coming of age comes with them looking at it, taking it in, and handling it the best they can. I, <laughs> yes. think, I think the word is Love handle here. Yeah, I agree. It's not like manage. The word is not manage here. So when we look at Harry Potter, which is a universally known coming of age story, while it is like a one to seven sort of series, I feel like the coming of age part doesn't kick in until like books three or four. Mm. Where in book three, Harry is forced, well, not forced, but Harry learns about his uncle and like all the logistics of the difficult lives of adults. And then <laughs> sure, in book yeah. four, when he has to grapple with like actual death, that's when the coming of age story kicks in. Mm. I don't consider like first book or second book part of him transitioning to adulthood. Those books are just him trying to be a kid in a magical world. Right? <laughs> yeah. So honestly, I think that's also why the books perhaps partly became so famous. The first two or three books started as whimsical, you know, kid Hogwarts fantasy. And then they sort of graduated or grew into something else as their audience graduated and grew into something mm -hmm. else. And that was a perfect match for it to keep going. Like it feels very much like the books are sort of growing as your audience is growing. Right. In terms of that, what you were saying, I think it's super true, right? The part of like, what does adulting mean to someone who's not there yet, but can already kind of see what it is or where it's going? Mm-hmm. That's a super interesting question. And I think also something that you really have to assume or realize is different for every character. For someone, the getting to know your uncle or understanding family ties better is very much tied to adulting. For someone else, that's not at all the case. Or they're just not interested in it. They don't want to touch that subject. It really depends on how you approach it, both in a character way and also in a writer or creator sense of the topic. I think it also is interesting to play with this difference that you're having there. A story very often is based in a few main characters. And if a few main characters all meet the same situation, the way we know they're different characters is because they react in a different way, because they're inherently different right. people. For instance, suddenly war happens or something very serious happens. Uh, your village gets burned out. You know, <laughs> mm. If all of your characters react the same way or if all of them I guess, come of age in the same way, it's not really telling me a lot. It's telling me, yeah, okay, they're maturing, but what does that mean? We kind of know what that means in a general sense, but if you know what it means for a single person in your story, if you know what it means for that one character who deals with things in a very different way than, you know, your character B, 
I think that's where you can really start to define characters. Right. For instance, it also reminds me of a Dutch book, which is called Maar Buiten is het Feest, which means the party's outside. <laughs> There's a few characters in there that I think, if I remember it correctly, are siblings. One of them deals with the situation or with the traumatic childhood in the way of they're going to get super out there. They become a performer. They become pretty famous as well. Like we see a time skip where, you know, once they're 40, they're basically like Oprah is someone very much in the picture mm. outing themselves in the most extra way possible as a sort of shield. Whereas the other sibling is kind of dealing with it completely shutting down and not wanting to let anything or anyone or any situation in in order to protect. Both are very much the same and both are like mechanisms with which you can deal with the situation. But it's it looks, it's black and white, right? It's super opposite. Mm -hmm. In the same way, you can kind of think of what it means to a character to come into a situation, what it means for them to mature from that situation. And I think for me, the interesting part lies in that it can still feel like a coming of age story, even though the outcome can be super different. I think that's what fascinates me about the sort of non-traditional coming of age. Well, yeah, of course. I, I see that not necessarily in stories, but literally in the house that I live in, right? Like, you know, I have an older sibling and a younger sibling, and we're all at, at most two to three years apart. We grew up with all the same traditional values of family and, and like the meaning of responsibility mm. and what adults should look like and what we should take care of. But the way we handle it or the way we interpret what adulthood has to be is very different, right? We're, we're all in this brutal world where it's very, very hard to find housing and, and like, <laughs> it's like find, find a living, right? My city in particular being exceptionally expensive nowadays. Our whole generation is being forced to grow up in a system that our parents didn't deal with. Their idea of success or their route to success to owning a house and having a family and mm -hmm. having property and having kids, all of that, a lot of that advice no longer applies. So we're trying to figure out right. what it looks like for our era, for this decade, for this year. Can we even follow those steps to adulthood like they did? Or do we have to take on more jobs? Do we have to find a new career? Are there things that we're allowed to do that will be productive in being a functioning member of society? And, you know, so to say this story is the same for every person, it's not even the same in the same household. <laughs> you know, it's not yep. even this. We're like... Being two years apart from my sibling is, is such a big deal. So every character in a story, when, when you have a coming of age story with a, with a cast, with a, with a multitude of characters, every single one is coming from a different set of formative values, a different set of foundations based on family, based on upbringing, based on education, based on where they lived location-wise and what they have been taught to aspire to and what they personally aspire to. So the trajectory to adulthood is different for everybody and mm. the goal the pinpoint they land on the 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 star in the sky that they aim for is different for every person so this is not just a book thing like you know like how we talk <laughs> about pirates or it's dragons it's real like, you know it's it's real we it's all real. age of age. Ah. <laughs> wow thanks <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why that sentence in particular like attacked me. It's like we all age. I'm like, thanks. Thanks for the reminder. Yep. I had a very oh my gosh. Yeah, this this is a life tangent kind of episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sorry about that. Over, over the weekend, you can tell, no one else can tell, but in the webcam, I got a haircut. 
And I've been going, <laughs> thank you for the thumbs up. Thank you for the mm-hmm. vote <laughs> of approval. I've been going to the same barber. My family has been going to the same barber for 12, 15 years, something along that, those lines. Sure. And every time she moves to a new barber shop, we all move to that same barbershop. <laughs> oh, like nice. we, she takes her business with her, which is which is fantastic. That's dope. She's yeah. great. Great. And at this point, it's just a, it's a just a stamp of loyalty. I'm I, I'm not interested in looking for other barbers. It's just like <laughs> this is the one. Yeah. I'm sure someday I'll want a different haircut. <laughs> yeah. And and I met them when I was like a young teen, when I was like middle school, high school. <laughs> so during this haircut, I'm talking and I'm like, hey, how long have I been going here? And they're like, yeah, something like 10 to 12, like 12, 15 <laughs> oh years, something like that. I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. My hair is different now, isn't it? Like, I feel like my hairline has gone up and she's like, yeah, it has. I'm like, hey, wait, hold on. Don't just say yes right away. <laughs> wait. Like, <laughs> you know. Don't confirm all that stuff. <laughs> Don't say it. And she's like, yeah, your hair used to be so thick. I'm like, whoa, hold on. Hold on. Wait. Hold on. Oh, no. Oh, no. She's spilling all the secrets. And like, as she says it so plainly as if, yes, of course, obviously, you're just now realizing. And I'm like, thanks. Thanks for the reminder that adulthood comes quick. Oh, my God. That's so funny. I love how she just didn't care about you. <laughs> about your like trying to grapple with the idea. She's like, no, nah, it's true. It's totally true. So like, you know, um, so sometimes the onus of a story is that adulthood comes fast, that responsibility is just on your plate and you got to deal, you know, and a lot of stories thrive in that, in putting the, a beloved main character in those situations where they're forced to grow. Like I think of How to Train Your Dragon as a great example of a three part movie series where the main character is honestly a coward in the first movie, yeah, but towards the end so, yeah. has to be in charge of a whole community of two communities and like really live his life filling in the shoes of a father that was this idea of adulthood, of maturity. Hmm. So that's, 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 that's all where I'm dropping off. <laughs> no, it's great. <laughs> what else can we say? For me, there was one more thing that fascinated me about the Bridges of Madison County in this mm-hmm. sort of idea of coming of age, right? For the uninitiated, the movie is about Francesca, the housewife. She's from Italy. She's a little bit stuck in the situation. She's not really sure what she what she's doing there or she misses home a lot. So the situation is a little bit like tight, I guess. Clint Eastwood comes along. <laughs> I forgot the name of the actor <laughs> in the musical, who is a National Geographic photographer and has seen the world. She sees a whole different perspective. She sees a lot of what she's missing in her very much small life, I guess, her sort of day-to-day grinding rhythm and find something that she didn't realize was lost. The character of Francesca for me felt so genuine because she was finding something that usually is is connected to more like childlike ideas, something of wonder or something of, mm. you know, exploring and seeing the world and, you know, having giddy fun, right? It's really nice that they sort of turned it on its head a little bit because usually in the coming of age, you sort of lose your childlike qualities. Right. And become more mature or start to, you know, for instance, lead a nation or start to get your shit together and become responsible or uh, start to Mm -hmm. gain knowledge or start to be in the adult world of working and etc. And here they kind of did it the other way. It's so worthwhile to think about, depending on the situation that your character's in, think about the qualities that they might need instead of what we think is what adulting looks like. Right. Growing is not just growing in the direction of maturity or becoming serious or becoming older. It's also growing in what you don't have yet or what you're missing. Right. I think that's just true in general for for all genres. Like it's just really necessary to make sure that your character gets what he needs at the end or just learns the stuff that he can't do yet. And whether that's, you know, childlike wonder or whether that's taking responsibility, that really depends on the story as well. So, you know, 
what's coming of age really <laughs> yeah yeah what a, what if it that was a fantastic sentence to grow into what's missing i love that idea yeah because it's more about like completion or like fulfillment right than it is about sort of mm-hmm. gaining specific qualities yeah i think one of the most uh, meaningful pieces of advice or at least just a lesson i learned as I was like transitioning out of college where everybody's like on the same track, going mm. to the same career, yeah. getting into the same profession, where the goalposts are kind of all in the same place for everybody. I think one of the meaningful, most meaningful pieces of life advice for me was that life is not a race. There's not the same finish line for every person. Yeah. And there's not a span of time to get to that finish line. That's the same for every person. The route that you take is entirely individual to you. You're not racing anybody. It's yours, mm-hmm. right? Don't try to compare yourself to rivers going in different directions. Yeah, it's Coming true. Coming of age stories. It's beautiful. It's great. <laughs> Speaking the truths here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was great. This was lovely. Yeah. I love that we talked about it in a, in a sort of non-typical way, I guess. I mean, that's also what, <laughs> what's the interesting part for me. God, I love storytelling. <laughs> storytelling is great. <laughs> <laughs> this is so great. This is so great. Well, we can talk about it every week. Okay. It's great. <laughs> Well, we usually end our podcast a certain way. And what are we ended with here? Yes. There's this one thing we always do, right? Every week, the person who's bringing the topic, in this case, me, also prepares Mm -hmm. a tiny little uh, prompt for the other person. Dante has not heard about this at all yet. And uh, you're going to you're going to improv a little bit about it if you're ready for it. (laughs) Sure thing. Okay. Are you ready for this week's prompt? I sure am. Okay. In the spirit of the non-traditional coming of age story, (laughs) I would like... The oldest character in this story to come of age, whatever that means. The oldest character as a coming of age story. Let it simmer a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Can see some wheels turning. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we can keep this one relatively simple. Uh, give me a letter. I need a letter to start this one oh, off. Oh, um, C. C. Uh, well, his name is Callahan. Callahan has, at a very early stage of his life, devoted his time and energy and made a career out of being a scribe. In this day and age, this is uh, this is in this weird fantasy world. Um, there aren't too many people who know how to read and write, and he took sure. upon himself the intense honor of being the person to document all of history moving forward. So from a very young age, probably in his early teens, where he learned, he got his formal education to the next 50 years, he would be in the charge of many kings, many generals, many artists to document the progress of whatever the empire is, whatever the flow of history goes. He's found himself on both sides of this ongoing war as a resource, as armies are are beaten and castles are conquered callahan is bumped from side to side and the value of a scribe is immeasurable because history is written by the victors of course and if if people need to know that you have won the war it has to be written down so that hundreds of years from now people (laughs) uh people will know who won you can still be a cool person yeah (laughs) right people will know who won the legacy will be intact So Callahan has spent the entirety of his life being that person to hear the stories of the world, to understand the different sides of every story. He has learned in his experience and his expertise to omit certain details that don't shine favorable light (laughs) on the people he's covering. (laughs) He's made sure that certain people are perceived as the good guys and the bad guys in these stories to make sure that people know who they're rooting for when they're reading it. 
anything that he scribes is known as treasured art. So he looks to an artist's work and keeps what he perceives as valuable because he has that power. The artist doesn't. And through his writings over the course of many years, as more and more people learn to read and comprehend these things, he is known throughout the world as somebody who has documented the era. Callahan has taken this upon himself and his pen is very well known all throughout the world. Towards the end of his life, as he approaches the the ripe old age of 103, he still takes his time to write the stories of people who come in. He has mentored many scribes and they've taken taken the tools of, of script to the edges of the earth and assumed his responsibilities. So he bothers himself with the people who stumble through his doorstep, the wanderers, the nomads. Sometimes it's a squirrel holding a really nice acorn and he chooses to document that as well. <laughs> as his eyesight begins to falter, as his fingers begin to quake a bit, and his writing becomes less precise, less perfect, and more of a sloping, winding tale. He takes his time and a piece of his respite and begins to write about himself. And he writes the first few sentences. He documents everywhere he's been. He talks about his long life and his years of service. And he puts down every place he's been, every person he's worked with. And after he reaches 20 pages of these incredible, fantastical, epic names that will be known to the ages of time, he realizes in this moment that the story is never truly about him, that he spent the last century speaking of others' victories, and he himself might not be worth remembering. And he sits quietly because he lives alone. His job has pushed him to isolation. His value diminished to the telling of others' tales. And he wonders if anyone will ever know who he truly was. The mornings that he enjoyed. The sunsets that he's watched descend over the mountainsides. The conversations he's had, though very little. <laughs> will the squirrel with the acorn tell his tale as he passes? <laughs> he doesn't know. But it might. So what's the value of a life? And he ponders it. And as his eyes close and he drifts into whatever awaits him afterwards, he grapples with the question, what's the meaning of a story left behind? If there's no one to tell it. Oh my. And that's, that's the, that's the story. Dude. <laughs> that was wild. Oh, Callahan. Wow. <laughs> that was, well, <laughs> I mean. In and out. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. You elevated that shit, dude. Oh, that was great. <laughs> that was like, <laughs> like, oh my God. Yeah. Imagine if you're a scribe for your entire life. Of course you're going to feel like, of course you're going to end up with like pure philosophy in your brain. Yeah. This was great. You think about so many stories where people don't even remember the author's name. Yeah. Right? And it's so true, right? Like, it's, it's just a skill at that point. Mm-hmm. You're just there for, like, being the camera. Like, if a wildfire happens over, over on the other side of the country, do people know who saw it first? No. Oh. Who cares? It's a fire, right? It's true. So, it's true. Different yeah. kind of storytelling, man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. That was great. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Thank you for that. A unique episode. Yes. Uh, how do we wrap this up, Marla? Well, <laughs> just before you go, <laughs> there's this one thing. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. <laughs> Let me actually do this. <laughs> my brain is not in this. Oh, my God. Okay. Thank you guys so much for listening, as Delta said. If you have any questions or ideas or ideas for prompts, we're always welcoming them wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. There's a Gmail. We got a Gmail. 
It's yourriversarewrong at gmail.com. Feel free to bother us there. We love to be bothered. <laughs> and then there's this one thing we still haven't discussed. I feel like yeah. we've spoiled it a little bit in previous episodes. We might have. I think we mentioned it once or twice. Yeah, or 58 like times. once. Yeah, or twice. Maybe twice. <laughs> Which is that, um, what was it again? Like your rivers are wrong. Something about rivers being wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Or they're, they're not right for sure. That's what I know for sure. <laughs> for sure. We don't know if they're wrong, but they're, <laughs> they're definitely, definitely not, not right. right. <laughs> you heard it here first. Well, Is this tagline evolving now? I don't like this. <laughs> Let's wrap this up. That was it. End of podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll, we'll work in the next episode. See ya. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Your Rivers Are Wrong. If you have any thoughts for topics, prompts, or if you just want to share your thoughts, you can reach us at yourriversarewrong at gmail.com. That's yourriversarewrong at gmail.com. Big thank you goes to Martin Skelligans for our intro and outro music. And most importantly, thank you for listening. We hope to catch you at our next episode. Have a good one. <laughs>